blah, 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 days. Man, I had some problems this morning. Man, I look like a convict with a bald head. Still getting used to that. Uh, am I muted? I don't think I am. Uh, hey, Blue Jay. We've had a lot of visitors today. I don't think I'm muted. Everything looks good. Uh, everything looks good. Um, man, I woke up this morning. I was drinking coffee, and uh, I heard this uh, uh, rumbling. And uh, I looked up. And a bear was climbing over the top of my top deck. There's not even stairs there. It was so freaking adorable. And he had his two kids with him. and uh, Or she had her two kids with him. Um, it was really cute. I tried to uh, see what I could find. Once they saw me, they uh, the mom decided I'm not that hungry, so she left. And... Uh, um, yeah, and, uh, long story short, I need more apples. I need a lot more apples. You can never have too many apples, my friends. Apples are your symbolic connection to the natural world. When you give a deer an apple, you are facilitating the serpent in the rainbow. You are giving that journey to them saying, hey, do you want to uh, look at life from this uh, uh, higher resolution life form? Um, meaning human. And that that might have something to do with it. I want to make sure that I've got the uh, slides. Arco. There we go. All right, great. And um, sorry for being late, everybody. I really believe in being on time. And uh, slideshow. And... um. The, the uh, this morning, I tell you, right before I started, I was going to stream from the porch, um, and everything went kaput, and then I had to uh, move all of everything back into the inside here, and get everything set up, and then uh, my computer here, it it had to be rebooted because it froze, and uh, it takes, dang, it takes eleven minutes to fully restart this system back here. It takes eleven minutes. You might think that I'm exaggerating, but there's uh it's just crazy because when you you know this is not part of the show sorry there's just really annoying things to the stop talking about that james hello good to see everybody a wizard is never late nor is he early he arrives precisely when he means to yes indeed that's a much better uh attitude um yes yes full meta the a and the e i'm glad you see that the uh, ligature, the Aedum, the Garden of Aedum, is what I almost named this episode. And then at the last minute, I I, uh, I decided that the splitting of Adam was actually more appropriate because it, it conveys the idea. And then I think I almost spelled it Aedum, but then I thought, James, people already find you confusing enough, so take that away. And then I'm like, oh, but so what? And then I added it back in, and I really don't know... I don't even know what the title is. I have no way of seeing what the title of the show is right now. But, uh, uh, yeah, and YouTube just told me I'm signed out, so I couldn't even look if I wanted to. But I'm just glad that the show's on, because um, I've been looking forward to bringing this stuff to you for a while now. And uh, we should do it. Um, I'm going to have to turn on the desktop audio, though. I'm pretty sure that one of these has sound. Actually, I don't think any of them has sound. The Son of Man. Ten-day artificially supported blastoids are on your screen right now. 
Um, Blastoid is a uh, uh, right when the uh, the <clears throat> right when we form, we uh, very early on create these blastoids. It's uh, a supercell that is capable of doing and being all things. It is the Metatron before the uh, Coagula. It is the uh, primal, uh, uh, the capital T cell, uh, the, the big daddy stem cell that is able to, basically, if you want a liver, it'll be a liver. If you want... Uh, if you want a pancreas, it'll be a pancreas, whatever you, you deem yourself in need of. And Hey, why am I telling you this? You, you have a body, you know how this works. You've been doing this since day one. And the fact that you're so tall pretty much, uh, says, Hey dude, good job. You know, you're really know how this works. So please don't hear me as telling you I'm an expert on how your body grows. You're the one that did this. Look at what you did. This was you. This was you at one point. And right now, the son of man, right now man is making the son of man. Man is creating the son of man right now. And that son of man is capable of being artificially uh, uh, inseminated and uh, uh, perpetuated. For a record of nine, of 10 days right now. That's how long we can do it. And these blastoids uh, are the not the building blocks of life. They are the extruder of the building blocks of life. And when we look back at what this process is, at what's happening, we find some profound things that match up with... With the divinity. Before I do that, I need to add this. I, I it's not no it's nowhere near as effective if you don't add it during the show. But last week, when I was away from anything that I could write a note on, I kept remembering how important it was that I brought up to you the fact that Peter that Peter was crucified upside down. And I, I think it's so important that you hear hear that because if you remember the theme of last time's show was how do we get from you know 4,000 phallusi a collection of 4,000 phallusies were found in a uh, uh, a Roman orgy pit and like a hundred years later you have this entire system built on piety and the entire church is built on the rock of Peter and Peter was crucified upside down. He was crucified with the obelisk, with the cock and balls. Excuse me, I do not like flipping someone off, but I hope you understand that this is not really a bird. That the cock and balls of St. Peter were still erect. That the cross, the inverted Peter, the cock and balls. This is probably, I probably just created this episode as an adult only episode, by the way. Last time is an adult only episode. Uh, I was trying to avoid that this time. Maybe I already blew it, but, but do, do you see how important that is? This is as important as it was when we talked about or learned that St. Jerome had the thorn pulled from the, was pulling the thorn from the lion's paw 
which was ceremonial of the western end of the Analema as the sun is crucified in the sky, and that that Jerome is him going into the underworld, which is the Analema wrapping underneath to the land of virgins, remember? And then there's Virgo. So the sun was moving out of Leo into Virgo, and that's the, the movement of that is St. Jerome. The entire church itself was crucified on the cock and balls while they were still risen. Osiris was still erect. And a new church was formed on that erection. And what was placed at the top of the 13 obelisks that were moved from Egypt to Rome? A cross placed on the very tip of the obelisk itself. And what does that cross represent? Right? <clears throat> Literally, what, what does it represent? Right? There's a sacrificial crucifixion. There's a death. There's a rising again. So that cross itself shows you the movement of the obelisk, the obelisk. Your CSF, what does your cranial spinal fluid do? Right? What is the liquid surrounding your entire antenna, your neural antenna, something that you and I might know as the spine, but your neural antenna is immersed in this liquid, and that liquid is suspended right, in the cranial spinal fluid that is uh, perturbating. Uh, I'm, used, I'm not trying to be fancy, but it's perturbating that little almond inside your brain the pineal, look at that as the almond itself, and you start to see that your third ventricle is a cervix of freaking consciousness, my friends. And the horns inside your head, you have horns inside your head of liquid crystal. Liquid crystal horns inside your head form this ankh, this uh, ovaric resonance chamber, that allows the liquid to perturbate and vibrate that little clitoris, that little migdal called your pineal, your first eye, your first eye. And it gives birth to the entirety, <laughs> the entirety of freaking consciousness. That this world that you think has been painted for you, you painted with stunning detail stunning detail that bear when he saw me today handing him the apple saw me as a living human tree with fruit i am not a human that lives in a house i am this locale that the bear feels safe bringing her cubs to because she knows she can partake of my fruit the apple that comes from me, the bear doesn't actually need consciousness of my driver's license, my age, my sex, even the fact that I'm separate from the house. The bear doesn't need to know that. Just as the deer doesn't need to know that inside the car is a human operating it. It's, it's all one thing. Why? Because consciousness is rendered on a different level. And that deer will choose to see the conglomerate of the cars. The bear chooses to see the conglomerate of my house, just as you choose to see your friends as the conglomerate of Jane or Bob or James. Right? 
that there are other forms of higher resolution consciousness that would not see James, but might actually see the lungs inside James as their own entity and understand the prana economy of my root, of my Peter, <laughs> as it's sacrificed upside down. How did we get from 4,000 phalluses in a Roman orgy pit? To the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How do we get from this to this? How? And more importantly, since Rome fell, what has been happening? What has been happening to man? Is he rising again? Is that what's happening now? The destruction of that which is around you is a sacrifice necessary for a resurrection. There would be no resurrection without it. Now, people have gotten so angry at my last couple of episodes. I've gotten some of the just disgusting replies from intelligent people that I know are wise. And they are so offended because the entire time inside the word resurrection is the word erection. And they were sold a bill of goods that this religion they would be buying was piety in a box. And therefore it becomes insulting that we are now degrading the resurrection into a resur and an erection and looking at the root of it all. And it's because you and I have been surrounded by people that have looked you straight in the eye and tried to tell you how crucially important it was that someone die on the cross for you because of how fucked up and broken you've been this entire time. And that is the training wheels of morality. That is what a feral man without the electricity to generate his own moral field, would need to survive. And when you ask someone, well, how are you broken? Why is it that you're broken? You're telling me that you need to find someone to die for you because of how broken you are. You are looking at a beast of burden, a broken beast, in search of a master that can only be found inside their own heart. This is the root of what you and I might see the wallpaper of what we're calling Christianity right now. It is built on a facade of Satan evil. And that, my dad's a Luciferian, or that dude's a Luciferian, or there's a Luciferian agenda. That is the wallpaper on that. That is the paste used to conglomerate and hide the leash of being bound by the need to believe that you are broken. The broken man has the excuse every morning not to get up. The broken man has a universal law that will tell him when his infractions occur, giving him an absolution from infractions that were not consciously seen. 
It is a different way of living. It is a simple, simplex way of navigating this world. And the people that live in that simplex mode are running the whole fucking thing. They have all the weapons. They have all the money. Thinking they have all the answers. And that they will be even more cleansed if they find you and your children and destroy the Luciferian inside them. And this is the entire uh, religion of crusade by stainless steel, right? Crusade by iron, I should say. Crusade by metal. Anyway, big, uh, big move from what we're getting ready to talk about, and I wish I would have gotten that in yet last week, but uh, it's important. How, how, well, it's already 11.30. Uh, shuckling. Let's do some shuckling. Let's do some shuckling. Um, Moses, the man of God, of him and him alone, it is said in a striking phrase that he had intercourse with the Shekinah. This is from the Zohar. And if you've seen uh, a certain group of people that uh, we're not allowed to talk about, you see them. What are they doing at the wall? What are they doing? What are they doing at the wall? Right? What are they doing? They're 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 humping the Shekinah of the wall. The wailing wall is a Shekinah, and they are humping it. And this uh, shuckling is considered very taboo, and it requires the wearing of this girdle, this Yiddish belt. The Yiddish belt is placed around the waist to separate the dirty parts below from the clean parts above. Remember what I said about broken man? That a broken man needs a cone of dirtiness, right? And that when you wear the cone, the girdle, you are not allowed to see your nuts. You will never see or be able to lick your nuts. And that is what a beast of burden needs because he lacks the moral shell, the moral electricity to not put his tongue on his nuts, right? And this, this requires a simple moral field. Now, you and I don't see a lot of people like that. They don't have that, but, but they're there. And if you think back, you'll realize, wow, there are a lot of people like that that are there. And those people need Republican and Democrat. Those people need, well, am I going to burn hell or am I going to be praising heaven? Just tell me. Those people need this idea that, is there an objective person that can judge me instead of me? It, it, it's... I used to call it disassociation as disassociation, and that's not fair. It's life as a bear. It's a beautiful life, being a broken animal on a ranch that licks salt or licks sugar, depending on Republican or Democrat, that licks salvation and just has a simple ten rules, none of which even say you, you, you can't lie to people. It's not even in there. The first two were simply about don't worship anything else but this. Very first of them are those. It's a very important, necessary step for evolution. And I, 
I have no problem at all even in uh, applying those those reasons, the stones themselves, to God, because I believe that man himself is natural, and that man himself is endowed by his Creator, and he looks in a certain way and behaves in a certain way and is made in a certain form because he's an instrument, the finger of God. That your morality is the finger of God touching the world. And if we give that to the people that need a cone, they will take that finger and lick their own nuts. They just will. And we catch them. They will throw their own feces at people. This is modern discourse now. None of these people are broken. You're not broken. These people are learning to bloom, right? They're the budding of flowers yet to come. And we owe them the same respect that we were given as we emerged as our own, right? And this shows you a deeper connection that's been shamed because at the root of what true prayer used to be, prayer was not about ask someone else for something. Prayer was about uniting with the divine and becoming his plan. It was a different, different kind of work. Think about the uh, Garden of Eden. Don't worry, there's no audio. Um, think about the Garden of Eden. And that when you're born, this uh, flaming sword is placed. That the, who many would call Ariel, the gold, think about the word Ariel, the gold of God. My God is my flame. That the flaming of the whirling sword would look similar to this idea of zinc. When a human egg is um, activated, at the time when the sperm and the egg, their DNA is combined, there's a flashing of light. And here's the blastocyst, which ends up becoming a blastoid, as I showed you. And you see in this case that the light itself is actually showing you how well fertilized an egg is or is not how well the um, creation, the genesis, took place. And if you consider just for a moment that the egg is the Garden of Eden, that the flaming sword that appears of Ariel would only occur after, after the apple was introduced. And as we talk about this idea, I want you to understand that before everyone shamed the idea of having any kind of... Uh, uh, remember, religion used to be... Sex used to be a vital part of religion. The ecstasy was a crucial part of the cross. The way... It was actually called the way. That the rising of your kundalina was a necessary requirement for you to grow a stalk. And it's true because if you proliferate your seed, your seed is able to grow. 
your seed is able to grow thousands of years old. That there's a handoff that takes place inside the sperm and the egg. And that that handoff includes a lot of wisdom. That every time your son is born, your son is the epigenetic wisdom and trauma of that which came before. It is more. It could be worse. It could be better. But you and I both know that's a judgment. If anything, it's simply more fractal. It's been turned more. There's more vitriol, which means there's more nutrients. There's more history inside that soil. One of the books in the Nagamani, The Apocalypse of Adam, described Adam in his 700th year. I'll just read it. Adam in his 700th year tells his son Seth about how when he and Eve had first been created, they used to walk in the glory of the eternal God. They were in fact more powerful than their creator, Yalbadov. However, that glory and knowledge was lost to them when Yaldabroth became angry with them and divided them into two eons, male and female. This division into two made them slaves to the Creator and also to death. What does it mean to be a slave to death? If you think about it, you could simply dismiss that as saying, well, that just means mortality, and that's fine. I got no problem with you saying that, because it does mean that. But it also means something else. If you did not want to die, the only way you could carry on would be to procreate, which would make you dependent on the opposite sex. You would become dependent on that. You would become a slave to death. Do you understand? That until you died, you only had a choice but to be a slave to this concept. You would wake up with a longing and an urge for the equipment, the body parts that you did not have. And the only reason why you would not have these is because you were divided into two. You were divided into these two eons. Which means before you were divided, you were something else. What is the ovary anyway? Right? The ovary itself that, that gives forth this uh, egg is attached to a tree of life that could not be understood from the baby. All the baby knows is that there is a tree of good and evil. Tree of knowledge, tree of life, right? Think of these as the tree of good and evil. It's these vessels that are inside the ovaries. And these vessels, think about it, they're giving all the nutrients, all the wisdom, all the desire, all the consciousness from somewhere else. From a place that the egg can never see comes this wisdom, comes this nurturing from this tree of something else. And what does this tree do? But it sprouts fruit. It liberates the ovum. That the largest cell inside a woman's body, the largest cell by far are these apples, these forbidden fruit. And that forbidden fruit can grow ripe on the tree and that that forbidden fruit is inside of the Garden of Eden as long as no one partakes. Right? If you do not partake, you will be safe here in the Garden of Eden. 
what is a sperm but a serpent? And inside the serpent, right, is, and the sperm is white and the egg is red. And we talked so many times, hopefully Autumn's listening because I know she noticed that, but so many times of the red and white of Mixacotal, of Atum in Egypt, of the, uh, even the red and white on the flag, the magic of the Falaho or the Pharaoh, Farajo, is the uniting of red and white. Even the story of Adam and Eve itself is the taking of the red land and inserting the white inside. And deep down here, we have this serpent and the eating of the apple. Watch what happens when the sperm accesses the jelly of the Garden of Eden. That sperm, that serpent, enters the garden and gives, gives fruit. And that fruit will be partaken by the egg. This is what the membrane, the outer coat of that, works. And this is why I want you to see how cool this is, because the accuracy of our symbolic mythology is how you and me know man has been here before. The fact that, that, that sewed into the, the heart of the teddy bear of our mythology, if you look inside, is a note that says, we know how all this works. And how would we know? Well, think about it. Are you a reptilian space pope told me? No, no, no. Think about more practical. We would know because we've been here before. And so when you look at sacred knowledge like this, when you don't have it handed to you by someone that's saying, yeah, you're broken as fuck, man. Someone needed to die for you. If you truly look at instead what's underneath it, you find a deeper seed, a deeper root, a deeper juice. And that juice is a covenant of man. Man. Man himself. I, I, the Old Testament was a story of God preserving the seed of Noah. And the mythology that's all around us is its own ark. It's its own tabernacle. And when you go inside this truth and we see it through modern science or what... what you know, let's give science a break today so we can even talk about this. But if we see through the eyes of modern science, we see mythology. We see mythology. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Ardhana Rishvara. Ardhana Rishvara. Ardhana Rishvara. He was called Arhanarishwara. The first half of the compound name, Ardhanari, meaning half male and half female. Remember like I and you and the Iesu? It's a hermaphroditic, omphalic uh, creation, the combination of Mercury and Venus. The second half of, of Ardhana Rishvara's name, Aswara, means the ward, the guardian of the flesh. This is the sacred hermaphrodite. And it's been, it's been there the whole time. It's not the only one. It's not the only one. This is just the oldest one I could find. You saw this image last week, but it's, it's uh, this androgyne of Adam and Eve. There are two... If you unwrap the Talmud and you look at everything that anyone has ever talked about when it comes to the creation stories, you find that there is a contradiction 
of what the creation story actually meant. This uh, contradiction, okay, so let's put it just in simple terms. There are one of two thoughts. The first comes from Genesis 1, verse 26. It's the idea that Adam was a hermaphrodite with two faces. Let us make humanity in our image after our likeness. They shall rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle of the whole earth, and all things that creep on earth. And God created humanity in the divine image, in the image of God they were created. Male and female, God created them. And this hermaphroditic uh, figure, the androgyne, um, would fit this definition, this first interpretation. The second interpretation comes from Genesis 2, because if you remember from your Bible study, even though it's not considered uh, respectful to raise your hand at most churches and say, why does Genesis 2 contradict Genesis 1? You're, you're a Luciferian! That's, that's typically what you hear when you ask these things. Remember, we're going for the way the Christ, the Christian, the Christosanity, the Christnaanity, below that, the balls of Christianity. That's what we're we're looking at today. That's weird, but that's what we're looking at today. The second interpretation comes from Genesis two. It's the idea that there is a primal androgyny that was divided. So the Lord God cast a deep sleep upon man, and while he slept, God took one of his ribs, right, and closed up the flesh at that spot. And the Lord fashioned the rib into a woman, and God brought her to the man. These are contradictions. Genesis 1, he made Adama, the Aedam, the Aedam, A and E dam, was a hermaphroditic made at, at Genesis, right? Number two would be, no, he made a primal androgenine and split it in two from Genesis 2. And I'm telling you that it's three. <laughs> I'm telling you that it's three. That if God was to make you in his own image, God would need to be someone that could recreate himself. He would be self-recreating, self-reproductive. And the closest thing you and I could look at in nature to what would be self-reproductive would be a hermaphrodite. Oh my God, we're going to... Yeah, it's going to be a weird episode. But it would be the hermaphrodite. And that not only is there a hermaphrodite, but Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 could both be correct with this option 3 because first he made the hermaphrodite. He made the Aedome. And then the Aedome was Split. Split. What you and I think split by the rib, but as we're about to see, may not necessarily mean rib. Psalm 139.5, you have formed me before and behind. Now, that you might think is a stretch, but when there's a lecture on this that I just couldn't get a decent clip of because it would take too long because the guy goes on and on and on about other stuff. But the, the Hebrew for this is um, the, the, the face and the face, the face and the face, um, before and behind. The Hebrew is much more uh, um, 
about the physicality of these two things happening. Um, keep in mind, especially the person that said, well, James, I'm really looking forward to you learning a lot more about Hebrew. It's like, yeah, shut the fuck up. Okay. <laughs> and I have to say this because no, this idea that Hebrew is Hebraic writing is like its own language and requires, uh, listening to a bunch of rabbis tell you what those words mean. You're a fucking idiot. This is paleo Hebrew. This is scrawls. These are gang signs left in the clay. And it becomes very important for the interpreter to understand humanity, the psychology of humanity, not the reverence that was squeezed from a tube onto the paper that came before. You will end up reenacting these Greek ceremonies where a virgin comes out and rubs a pole with olive oil and it will come out as this dry liberal arts uh, interpretation that's like, I will rub your pole now. Your pole is rubbed. You have been anointed in the oil of God. You are therefore el en parthenia. And, and that is this uh, idea that we must squeeze a belt around the waist and put a tourniquet on our organs for we are trying to talk to God. It is a very fucked up attitude. It is. It is. And it comes from the burning of Rome. It comes from the utter destruction of a place. Controlled demolition. Imagine now if there were a couple of skyscrapers in like a big building somewhere. And suddenly they were to just burn and burst and disintegrate in the sky. And you were to spread a tale that a demon had landed on earth. Tarasto. And this demon Tarasto required that each of us sacrifice a part of our life force, a, a liberty of sorts, in order to appease the god of Tarastos. It would be like that. I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> who the fuck would do that, right? Who, who in the world would do that? Uh, maybe a better analogy is a secret demon that's found in the skin underneath it that no one can see except for one company that puts out a sacred test that you take. And if, if the sacred test is sent to a database that none of us have any access to and it comes up a certain way, then you now are deemed possessed. <laughs> I mean, I know that's even crazier. No one would, no one would do that. No one. Unless you were a beast of burden. A beast of burden would would exactly fall for those things. Beast of Burden would create an entire cult out of that. The truth of the matter is, is that the word side and the word rib are the same thing. In Genesis 2-1, so the Lord cast a deep sleep on the man, and while he was asleep, he took out one of his sides and closed up its place with flesh. The Lord God then built into a woman the side that he had taken from the man. That you could read the, the, the scripture the exact same way. It's the same thing. Dezela. Meet Zalotov. Check in the comments for how badly I butchered the, the pronunciation of that. Again, back to the uh, 
Talmud, when man was created, he was created with two body fronts, and he, God, sawed him in two, so that two backs resulted. One back was the male, the other was the female. This is not a new idea. When it comes to sides, I want you to picture again this idea of the serpent and the egg. That the serpent is tempting the primordial Adama with fruit. And if Eve opens the gate, if Eve and Adam both open the gate, they are partaking of what? The apple from the serpent. The serpent gives forth his fruit and it is partaken. And what happens? What happens with that partaking? Well, cleavage happens. Cleavage. What is the first thing that happens when the sperm drops its apple into Eden and Eve partakes? That's why she partakes first. Okay? She partakes of the fruit that was brought inside, the very first thing that happens is cleavage. That single cell, about the size of a hair follicle, again, the largest cell in the female body, splits in two. First thing it does, it splits. It's salzes. It's called cleavage, right? It splits into these two halves. And then what happens? The cleavage converts into mitosis. That the process where cells split is the rib, the sacred story. It's been there the whole time. How would scripture know what the egg does? It's the size of a piece of hair. How would scripture know that the moment that the serpent brings an egg in and the egg is taken from the mouth, the seed is taken from the egg and that the egg and the, the DNA from the apple and the DNA from uh, the nucleus of the egg combine and life is given. And what happens? Sex is determined. The serpent brings the sex into the egg, right? The egg uh, has the X chromosomes. The serpent may or may not bring the Y, it may bring another X, it may bring another Y. Biting into it separates us. And what happens when we're separated? What happens? We feel shame because we are missing a part of us. We are now a slave to mortality because our X and Y chromosomes have been lost and we only have one. It's, <laughs> it is the birth of shame. <coughs> the birth of genitalic shame comes from this creational process. Now, when you translate what male and female mean in Hebrew, and again, keep in mind, these are scrawled uh, uh, gang signs on rocks. There's no vowels. Literally every consonant has to have a, a break in between it. Because the word itself doesn't, isn't actually the word. It's all the scrolls combined into a mega word, to a mega thought. You're building twid, uh, tiddlywinks with Paleo-Hebrew, and it's not even Hebrew. This is really more Coptic 
you could call this same scrawl Coptic, which is why I don't want to hear any uh, uh, people tell me how, how, how much smarter they are about Hebrew. You don't need to know any of this to look at the gang signs on the wall. Male and female basically meant piercer and womb. And, and, and to be pierced, to, to be creviced is the female. And to pierce or to remember is to be the male. To remember that the root of what male meant was member, to remember, to be able to store, to be able to write, to scrawl onto the womb. And what does the male do? He scrawls the sex onto that union. The male carries that gender. It's inserted into there. And we live in a society where we've been shaming men. And now we have gender dysphoria. We've been shaming our lower uh, balls and testicles. It's an insult. Oh my God, it just hit me. It is an insult. The worst insult in the world is to show someone your cock and balls. Why is that so insulting? This, this is a reproductive process. This is the story of creation. If anything would be the symbol of God, it would be this. But we've decided this is the most offensive thing that you could ever throw at someone. Do you see how we went? We inverted Right? This is the cross now. And this is the obelisk that came before it. Hypopolitus. Hypopolitus. Uh, Hypopolitus says that all mysteries were the pudendum or sex, sexual organs. And it was to prevent the common people from discovering this, that the death penalty was always attached to touching or looking into arcs, monstrouses, or holies of holies. Remember the monstrous from last week. If you don't, you need to watch the episode because it's an important part of this. Uh, Hypo, my, our friend Hypo here, um, is known for symbolically releasing the horses, releasing the wild truth, <laughs> and dying perilously as a result of that. And he, he's hitting on this same idea that the birth of shame itself came from your division, from your single cell dividing into two. Thank you so much, Cal. Wow. Mind blown. You bring all the stuff. I have grasped through Don Juan, Alan Watts, Sufism together, James. Don't sweat the criticism. Oh, th those who get it, get it. Those who don't. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. I love this stuff. It's, I've just been having so much fun reading this stuff. It's been great. Um, I want to remind everybody that Adam is not used as a proper name until Genesis 4.1. That inside the Hebrew itself, the name itself is actually not even uh, annotated as a proper name. It's a word, a dhamma. The, the red of the earth. The red of the earth is what a dhamma means. And a good part of the... Uh, Old Testament, Eve is actually referred to as a he. Then the man said at last, here is one of my kind, bone take from my bone and flesh from my flesh. Woman is uh, his name because, I mean, woman is her name because he was taken out of man. He. 
And um, even the scribes who aren't weird, like the traditional mechanical uh, Bible, and you can uh, put the uh, mechanical quotes in here. If you look up mechanical Bible, you're going to freaking love that thing. It's just fascinating to look at the scrawls without the interpretation of a bunch of people going, oh, you're a Luciferian, and oh, you're a Luciferian too, and oh, you're another Luciferian. You can get past all that and just look at, at the actual scrolls themselves and why people are calling themselves uh, God-loving and never looking at this is just fucking beyond me, especially if they believe that this is God. It's just amazing. But that even those dudes are telling you, look, Literally translate, he will be called out woman. Either the he is an heir and should be she, or the text originally read, which would then be he called out her title woman. So this is not a uh, single occurrence. It's not. And if you want to check this for yourself, you can translate Hebrew to English and it'll show you. The man said, uh, this is Genesis 3.12, by the way, totally different example. The man said, the woman you put here with me she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. That's what you and I think it says. You and I think it says that she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Why? Because a, a Luciferian fear and scribe was like, oh, I found a mistake, and I, don't, I want to make sure that God knows that, so I'm going to change all the scripture. And that happens over and over again. The Bible that you're looking at now is a conglomerated 9-11 commission called the Council of Trent, right? And that wasn't even the only council. Like the Septuagint. What is that? The Septuagint. Uh, it's a 72-9-11 commission with 72 members that decided we're all going to decide what, what actually, what the story was. It's literally what happened. <laughs> literally. But the King James Bible, it's like, yeah, I know. I know. You need those crutches right now. But you can look this up in yourself. It's fascinating. And you'll, I, I was, I didn't believe it. I was like, no, this is some, this is some, uh, weird liberal person claiming this stuff and it's no it's it's actually right there and it's not just this dude it's 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 everywhere this is a pro, prolific either massive errors like about 60 of them or wasn't errors at all that they're telling you something deeper why because there's code the typology is strong in this book it's why we love the book so much love this mystery the mystery itself is God. We think the solving of it is God. It's not. No, it's the foreplay. God is the foreplay, not the ejaculation. You know, many of us have this extra rib. I wanted this to be back in our talk on the giants, but it was kind of like, where do I put this exactly? But um, there's a cervical rib, the neck rib. And uh, uh, we consider this a defect, but if you actually look at why anyone else has a cervical rib, namely reptiles, you find the reason why they had this cervical rib is because they were supporting more weight. More weight. Right? Your longer-necked lizards could not function without a cervical rib. And so, if you consider that maybe there was, there is the Elohim, the ones that we are made in the image of, maybe they would be this two-headed hermaphroditic figure and that keep in mind that the the heaviest part of your body when it comes to supporting it believe it or not is your head and believe it or not the shape of your skull is an important part of your run 
it is the counterweight that is necessary for your balance to be as effective as it is. And that that weight is already, you know, you've probably heard this, it's a bowling ball on top of a broomstick and, and it's, yeah. And if you were to have two bowling balls, you would need a, a stockier broomstick, wouldn't you? You would need that. And then this cervical rib could be part of it. The best source for DNA in the torso is the rib, their first rib. The first rib is not the cervical rib. Everyone has a first rib. Only some of us have the cervical rib. But that when it comes to uh, World War II uh, survivors, the best way to identify those that they only had the uh, torso for was by utilizing this first rib. And why? Because the first rib feels all the vitriol. That's actually why. The first rib has no choice but to be the strongest rib because it has the most tendons and, and muscular armature attached to it. And isn't it interesting that the bone that holds the most stress, right? Oh, well, that's not what I meant to do. The bone that holds the most stress is also the bone that, uh, um, that remembers. Vitriol causes memories to be stored. We can pull the history of someone's DNA as long as we have a bone that suffers from the most stress. Just interesting sidebar there. Um, remember this guy, the Ardhana Rishvara. Um, part of this uh, uniting was the union of these principles is exalted as the root and womb of all creation. This figure was this uh, Aedum figure, this primordial figure that gave life to all of the things, and it did that through self-replication, through itself, not through others. More weirdness, Genesis 24, 16. Rebecca? Referred to as a young boy. Referred to as the boy. Lots of these uh, strange things. Genesis 9.21 Noah retires to her tent. To her tent, not his tent. And if you want to look this up, you can check it for yourself. And uh, yeah, a lot of people have, have written about this. This isn't something that James Truce found. This is a pretty common known thing in biblical history that there's a lot of gender bending. And no one's really given a decent answer as to why. This is James True's work. This is why this episode took so long. <laughs> I didn't believe these people. I thought, this is a secret, this isn't right. And I, I literally went through the Mechanical Bible, and I found these 21 verses that have this anomaly of his tent versus her tent. And some of you might argue, yeah, but James, the female was the tribal leader, so it would be her tent a lot. And, and that's part of why I kept looking, because I was like, yeah, I bet I'm going to find that all these are related to like, if someone is married, then it's her tent. And if someone's single, it's not. And, and no, it's just not the case. It's just not. 
It's just not. In the third column, you see, uh, th uh, third column gives you what was actually said. In the fourth column, I tell you what the Hebrew gender actually is, right? It took a while because I, I just, I still just couldn't believe it. It's just fascinating. And this is why, um, why Paleo-Hebrew is so beautiful because it really is scrawls. There's no, there's no vowels. There's no, there's no, uh, smited, smiting, smitoffer, smitoffacles. There's none of that stuff. It's just the concept. There's no hypotheticals in Hebrew scrawls. Every single thing is a physicality. And that physicality you would only be able to understand by understanding the psychology, not the literature, but the psychology. This is why I brought up the horns last time. Thorns? Why would the ark need to be made out of acacia wood? Because acacia wood had thorns. Why were thorns considered holy? Because when you slept at night with your family, primitive Paleo-Hebrewic times, surrounding yourself in a thorn bush gave you protection. It gave you this sense of royalty. You would thrive inside these thorns. The crown of thorns, which you've been told is a device of torture, is the very birth of the idea of crown itself. What is the Burger King crown but a bunch of thorns? Every single crown you've ever seen. The word crown comes from the root. In Hebrew, in this Paleo-Hebrewic language, the root crown comes from the same root as thorn. Same root as horn. This is why the horns, think about it in Paleo-Hebrewic times. Not only do you have the safety and the sanctity of a thorn bush, but when you look out at the stags, when you look at the elk, when you look at the deer, when you look at all the animals that have antlers or horns, you see the same idea. The 12-point buck right, is the king because he has more horn, thorn, corn, crown. He has more of those things. Just fascinating and there's no hypotheticals it's all rooted in something in earth and you can think about that hint the seraphim why is there such a fascination with the snake because it's literally part of their life part of an important concept they're watching the snake regenerate they're watching the snake uh, carry vic uh, venom and medicine This is something that I, okay, so on the left, you're seeing an illustration of uh, the anatomy of hermaphrodite. If you didn't know this, between the two stones, you would find uh, what, what we can just, we'll just call it a vagina. And it just kind of makes me think about Ganesh, that the reason why the Ganesh is... Uh, celebrated as such a creatrix is not only do you, does the Ganesh have horns, which are uh, a male only, uh, I mean, antlers, uh, a male, wait a minute, do elephants have horns or antlers? Uh, I think it's horn. Um, that, uh, someone correct me though, prove my lips, I'm pretty sure it's horn, that, that the male here, Ganesh, is also the female. That the, even the shape of the elephant itself is what I'm saying. The trunk, the horns, and the mouth underneath the trunk. Uh, 
has this uh, idea, has this hermaphroditic theme to it. And, you know, a lot of uh, the Indian uh, Vedic history, I guess, or Hinduic history has the multiple arms, the two sets of arms. And that could really be hearkening back to this primal state of neither male nor female, but the yaidum, right? The combination of these things, the ligature of, of Adam and Eve um, is uh, closer than we think. When you talk about the uh, chicken and the egg, which one comes first? Um, even when you look at the blastoids, these 10-day-old uh, uh, T-cells, uh, T-cellic uh, type uh, life givers, none of that's possible without having a man first or a female first, right? So even as we try and perfect our idea of creating life, all we're really learning how to do is inseminate it. Inseminating life is not the same as creating it. And one of the biggest uh, problems that uh, evolutional theory, this happenstance idea has, is that at no point can it explain how you actually have that first semination, that that first semination would be impossible without the adult, which I've tried to insert the idea into your mind that, that Adama was spawned into this world, spawned, uh, much like a video game. When you start the video game, there's already a townsman there waiting for you to tell you that you need to more gold before you can buy this sword. And then you have to go uh, snap the necks off of scorpions in the woods for a while. That all the scorpions and the townspeople, those are spawned. And it's really important because you really can understand just how primal you are to this universe. Remember, you're in charge of your own morality now, which means that you don't need the objective universe to be created first and then you place here. When you have that idea of you're Luciferian, you really are creating this outward uh, rightness that you were brought before for a brief blip in time and then you participate in. And, and you don't actually know that's how it works. None of us have any idea that that's how it works. People used to laugh at me when I would say as a young child, I don't know if you guys were here before I got here. And I don't know if you will be here when I go. I just don't know. I have no way of verifying that. I'm not saying you're, means you're not real. I'm saying that I don't know if you will be able to exist. The joke was I was worried about you because when I die, all of you disappear and I like you people. And I don't, it's weird to have that kind of responsibility that if I die, all of you will disappear. I like you guys. You figure out something, you know, and that that idea is actually not so primitive. It's actually not so elementary. Because zetetically it proves true, but more importantly, that your experience here had to have been inside a spawned environment. No one is given an explanation as to how all this happened from nothing. No one. Unless you look at it as if it was spawned. I hope that makes sense. We have uh, someone not trying to discount. Let's see. Oh, well, that's right. 
Yeah, if there's people having issues with this, just remember, I get it, man. I get it. People have a lot of issues with this. Anytime you look, anytime you just want to uh, worship the the history of the Bible, meaning look at it to give it any kind of thought at all, you have this Puranic effort of people to, don't you fucking touch that. Don't mess with that. And they think they're being reverent. They think that they're showing reverence by insisting that no one ever encounter it. And it's gross. It's uh, uh, the drying of the Shekinah, the drying of the, you know, it dries up. It dries up because you place this reverent sheet around it. And then the people that place the sheets, they're the ones that are in there getting the Shekinah now because they've insisted that no one else can touch it. And they have this feeling of, of more holiness because they're pointing at everyone else that's a Luciferian or everyone else that's missing it. These aren't my thoughts. There's a book you're about to see in a slide coming up that's going to tell you just one. But guys, this is the Zohar. <laughs> this is the Talmud. This is the Apocalypse of Adam. This is the Apocrypha. This is, this is, uh, uh, fuck, this is a lot of Vedic stuff. This is a lot of Hindu stuff. This is a lot of, which, however you want to look at it, you're, you're not going to be able to squirm out of the fact that you were disagreeing with multi-millions of people and telling them all that they're wrong, which I don't see why you need to be wrong or right. I think part of worship is just having a, an open dance with creator, why do you think the Hindu has so many figures of God? It's because what's the best way that you were going to dance with Shekinah? What's the best way? And are you going to be dry and like, I am dancing with God now. I feel so godlike because I am, oh, a Luciferian. Or are you going to fucking get down? The soul train, right? Soul train is how you worship. You don't, you don't do it with this piety. Everyone knows you fart. Stop trying to pretend you don't. Don't, you know? Even the conversation about what the gender of God would be gets really pissed off. And if I try and tell you that El, try and tell you that the El and Elohim was a divorced God, that he rejected his wife, Asherah. And that this rejection of Asherah became necessary for Yahweh to become as popular as he did. That your deity in war had to have a connotation, a style, a fashion to it. Had to, and during war, you would want to accent the masculine. And as Yahweh declared war, and you can read the Old Testament, 35 deities were smitten in some way, or defeated in some way, or overturned in some way by Yahweh, and that that battle against those forces would do nothing but masculinate the divine figurehead. The Shekinah would slip, would dry up. The Asherah, the grove, would be chopped down. And the pole, the pole, would be christened on the top with this divine ejaculate, this idea 
that now this holiness comes from a very central force, the force of Peter imprisoned inside this chamber of piety. And it worked. It worked. But this multi-figured God, Prajapati in uh, um, Hindu culture, this, you can see how this is the same as Priyapas, that the name of Priyapas itself came from Prajapati. Well, wait a minute, James. That means that the Roman god Priapus that you're not going to show pictures of because of how dirty it was and it got an adult flag last time actually got their religion from, 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 the, from the east. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. And that's why Krishna and Christ have so many things in common. Why they have the same name, Right? Why, why they had 17 facts that occurred to each of them, uh, almost exactly duplicate. And that doesn't take away from your Christ. It simply shows that your Christ is taller than you ever thought possible. And that's what makes people nervous. They get really upset about that. They want to start over at 1 AD. Think about Elijah. Elihu Yah. Remember the who, he, about God? There's that who right there. My God, Eli, he, which is who, is she, which is Yah. My God, he is she. Allah, Eli, who, Yah. Most of your divine names are the male in consort with the female. And that that's a regenerative name. That's why names were given. They wanted the name to have a regenerative quality. So the father that bequeathed the name says, well, what do you want to name him? Uh, Phallusgate, Falaska, Poundish. Yeah, Pound, Poundhole, Pound, Poundhole, Poundholian, Poundholius, Poundholius. Because now you have the male and the female and the creationary act embraced as one. This would be the ultimate divine name, which is why the Hebraic scrawlings, which were eventually turned into a language, were defined in this gender-blending kind of way, right? The, the three letters that are used for Iho or Yahweh, all of those are... Uh, Maker consonants, right? That they they are capable of serving either purpose. They have a gender fluidity. Oh my God! I know. Wait, did you see the pun? Oh my God! Anyway, as a deep pun, but uh, same concept in the Atum, the primordial, self-creating, hermaphroditic God that rises from the waters and the source of everything that follows. And what is Atum? but the red and the white, the blending of the upper and the lower Egypt, and his name is Adam. It has the name Adam in it. It came from the same place. Adam is taller than you and I. The Aten, not, remember, I, I, more wa I wanted you to see this because I wanted people to not get these confused in your head. The Atum is different from the Aten. And I included Akhenaten because he was a hermaphroditic figure. 
Now, whether or not he really was, that's the whole other topic. Whether or not he's Barack Obama's genes, whatever. It doesn't, it's cool, whatever. I'm open or closed to all those things. It doesn't matter. I want you to see that part of this hermaphroditic process was him uh, blending these things. Right? My rays illuminate. Aten's, this was the first time God grew silent too, by the way. The only spoken words of Aten, the only God that, that really stopped talking. Because we started to remove these, the, the commandment, do you understand that the commandment to not worship false idols was the commandment against Ka. The first two commandments of the Old Testament were trying to cut off the Kemetic influence of Ka. Ka, the life force, the soul that was imbued inside statues, inside the rock, inside your home, inside your clothing, inside the, the, the hippopotamus tusk wand that you kept and that you used it to point your magic at people on the street, that this was a war against all of those things, all of them, and that this same war happened in Rome that suddenly everything that was a fetish, everything that was used as an altar, needed to be inverted, needed to be placed in the ground, subdued, removed from sight. The cutting of Asherah, right? The removing of the shrubs. This was a a massive psychological change. And it doesn't require a they. The, it, it, a polar shift in the aperture of the sun could cause this. Could cause a change in thinking which ends up changing the very philosophical uh, standpoint that you have about all things in life. Pervs, chicken and peach. Thank you, President-elect Pressure 609. <laughs> Um, the, uh, this is the, the book that some of you might really enjoy. Some of you will get really, really mad. It's called The Name, History of the Dual-Gendered Hebrew Name from God by Mark Samoth. Great book. The book of Ezekiel, if read in English, in no way seems to hint at the dual-gender secret of the name. But reading Ezekiel in Hebrew is another matter altogether. In Hebrew, one immediately notices a persistent conflation of grammatical gender, persistent and overwhelming. Everywhere one looks in Ezekiel, masculine nouns are modified by feminine adjectives, and feminine nouns are modified by masculine adjectives. The phenomenon is so pervasive in Hebrew that a prominent mid-20th century Bible scholar went so far as to suggest that the prophet Ezekiel must have suffered from gender confusion. Some Muslims believe Ezekiel to be mysterious figure Dul Kifl, who appears in the Surah, of the Quran is described as a righteous man and counted amongst Allah's prophets, meaning the double one. These are not tribal errors. Right? This is real stuff. And you'll notice that most of the reason why the Apocrypha is removed from you is because it's pointing to more details that simply just make this too confusing to have a destruction of all idolic worship. We have to kill the Ka. 
the Ka, the reason why you build these elaborate tombs is to hold the Ka, because if you do not have a physical space to hold the Ka, the Ka dries up. The Shekinah dries up. This was a blatant war against the essence of plasma in this world. And look at Einstein saying there's no ether. We are barely even touching the surface of this electric universe. And it's only through technology that enough of us become comfortable enough with electricity that we're not ripping each other's guts out because someone made a light bulb one day. Right? This takes time for us to accept. Which is why people freak out so much when you start talking about this stuff. Right? But it's a great book. <clears throat> Seek not out things that are too hard for thee. Neither search the things that are above thy strength, but what is commanded thee. Think thereupon with reverence, for it is not needed for thee to see. This is right out of the King James Bible. And that is the burdened man. The beast of burden is looking for his scripture to tell me, Seek not out things that are too hard for thee. Neither search the things that are above thy strength, but what is commanded thee. Think thereupon with reverence for it is not needed for thee to see. And that is the crutches. That is the, my dad's a Luciferian. That's, the, that's that kind of thinking. And it takes a while for this kind of flower to grow, for it to bud, for this kind of consciousness to bloom. Uh, no, but if you can go back, David, you can, uh, you can read it. It's right there, buddy. Just sit, pause. Um. Aphrodite. Herma of Aphroditus was a male form of Aphrodite. It's a female, or looked like a female on the outside and had a penis. Um, in Hesiod's Theogony, Aphrodite is born off the coast of Cythera from the foam. Remember the foam? That was a long time ago, I know, guys, but it's produced from the Uranus's genitalia. There's also a statue of Venus in Cyprus that's bearded, shaped and dressed like a woman, with scepter and male genitals, and they conceive her as both male and female. Uh, Aristophanes calls her Aphroditus, and Levaeus says, Worshipping then the nurturing god Venus, whether she is male or female, just as the moon is nurturing goddess. And his Atheus Philo. Chorus 2 states that she is the moon and that men sacrifice to her in women's dress, women and men's, because she is held to be both male and female. Great book, The Rise, Decline, and Fall of the Roman Empire. Cannot recommend it enough. It's free on Google Books. You can read it for free. And if you want to get mad at me, this is one of those uh, texts that I use. Just a fascinating, really enjoyed this read. This guy... Uh, was prolific in 1920s or so. And I tell you, I think that he has some insight into things because it was prior to academia just slaughtering us with the politically correct bullshit. Keep in mind that most of the treasures that we found from Egypt uh, were curated by us. And that we're looking at a lot of things that are like, oh, look, another Egyptian papyrus with a dude stroking his penis. Uh, yeah, I don't know if the last time I tried to bring these to the museum, they were kind of like, hey, can you extend the penis, eh? And even that creates this kind of filtering, right? 
where you start to notice that people aren't, uh, um, uh, aren't actually respecting what they found. They're changing it. This is the King James Version, fixed all those gender problems. That we end up uh, erasing a lot of our history because we don't like what it says. The ancient Hebrews worshipped at one time or another a great many different gods. In fact, the learned Encyclopedia Biblica and Bishop Colenso tells us that Hebrews shipped precisely the gods of the people among them who dwelt. Yet their scripture had been edited so as to make it appear that from Genesis on they worshipped only two forms of deity. One called the Elohim, a band of gods like those of Greeks and Romans, and a special tribe god, or Baal, called Iho, or Aho, Yahweh, whose name was too holy to permit of its being pronounced aloud. In fact, it was death to do so. Hence the term Adonai. Encourage you guys, if you want to pause, to read this, uh, these other two paragraphs and check out that book. Really a great book. And it, it, it will bring you closer to your religion unless, unless you need something more spoon-fed, you know. What if God had boobs and balls? Just a guy with Gucci and boobs on the get the way home. Yeah, yeah. What if God had boobs and balls? Just a slob like coos and balls. I was going to, uh, uh, this is your bong ripping song, Tony. What if God had boobs and balls? I was going to uh, take this song a little bit more but i honestly forgot um forgot about that yeah oh you're welcome green mountain girl <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome yeah let's do it again what if god had boobs and balls <laughs> oh well, i'm glad i cracked myself up uh jeremiah 1 1 the word of the lord came to me what do you see jeremiah I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. And this comes back into this almond tree stuff, right? Which we talked about a couple of episodes ago. That the almond tree is basically the phallus. And that the phallus had to be incorporated in religion in some way. So it was basically described... I'm sorry, the almond tree, the tree itself, the budding tree itself is the phallus. The almond is the clitoris. And that this symbol of the almond tree was like a really perfectly uh, communicative way of embracing these two ideas. And you can see in Jeremiah 1.11, fitting too that all those are ones. But moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. That all, all of this uh, sexuality has been here the whole time and it's nothing to be ashamed of. Do you know why you feel shame? Because of it. Do you know why? Because you're egg separated. Yeah. When your dad gave his apple to Eve, your mom, to her egg, the first thing you did in your life is you separated. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> There's that pun again, but oh my God. And you split. And you split again. And you split again, you split again, you split again, you split again. And the entire time you think, I have to survive, I must split. And every time you split, you go through this trauma of reminding yourself, but, but I, I was whole. I was whole. And so every single time that your cells split in mitosis, every single time you grow, 
you are living a traumatic, traumatic memory of your genesis. Of your genesis. That before that time inside Eden, you, you, you were among the tree of life. That there was an immortality that came with that. That your sex had not been determined because it was still unified as one. This hermaphroditic pregenesis. That that's what causes you to cover your genitals when you're naked. That that core shame is the very essence of who you are. And if you did not have that core shame, it would only be because you never growed. It would only be because you decided that you would stay the size of a hair follicle and never ever grow. So the very shame that you feel is absolutely, totally necessary and required for you to continue to exist. In figure 16 here, you're going to see this is a, a drawing of a, uh, a mosaic. And it's a dual-gendered Apollo. This is not the only one. Apollo was seen a lot of ways like this. This was inside that Richard Payne Knight book that we talked about last time, The Worship of Priapus. And you can see here that Adam has this... Uh, uh, could even be that Adam's got some boobs there. And he's got some junk. And it probably fits in with that uh, hermaphroditic figure. There's actually a lot of sculpture uh, that has that hermaphroditic figure. I want to remind everybody that Yahweh's pronoun is that. I am that which I am. Right? doesn't say, I am he which am, or I am she which am. He simply says, I am that which am. This dude, Guillaume Postel, the God of Israel was understand to pre of priests to be a singular dual-gendered deity. Based on his own vision, these works uh, brought Postel in conflict with the Inquisition. And that uh, this dude was barely able to survive simply because he happened to know the right people. But him even suggesting that there was this dual-gendered nature of God was enough to, uh, to have you killed. So this turning of Peter, the turning of the, of the, of the uh, almond tree, was happening even as late as the 16th century. Another guy, Michelangelo Lancy, you could just see he was just like looking for trouble. But uh, claim to God also claimed same thing that from doing his reading, from what he insisted, it looked to him that it, that uh, this was a dual gendered God. Again, he uh, also suffered um, similar kind of fate, uh, lost all of his uh, offices for suggesting such terrible, terrible things. Here's our boy again, this book I was telling you about so much goodness in this book and I, I don't think that you should believe every passage you're looking at a guy that was trying to interpret Egyptian hieroglyphs uh, before the Rosetta Stone maybe I cannot remember when the Rosetta Stone I think the Rosetta Stone was found in the 40s uh, let me just look that up because that's easy Rosetta Stone was found in shit it's not going to tell me it's wants me to buy software uh yeah oh no no it was discovered in 1799 it's way off okay okay so so james did 
did have this with the Rosetta Stone. So the point is I'm trying to make is, is that I'm not trying to say that, that everything he's saying here is right. I'm telling you that this is a guy that's giving you the goods and he's not uh, cleansing it at all. And he's telling you over and over again that these gods have been scoured with a scouring prad and that all of these uh, sexual references were kept but also removed at the same time. That the truth had to remain in the room. It's the only way that you could even move this religion. But that it had to be hidden in a very special way. Really great book. Again, free on Google Books. And there's that Elohim. What, according to James Hene, Elohim comes from El, the male, O, the female, and the I am the plural. To pluralize the male and the female. Keep in mind that the early form of prayer, the original form of prayer, was not about asking for things. It was about uh, finding unification. That is our job to unify. The Zohar radically reimagined the very purpose of prayer. When Jews stand erect to pray the standing prayer, they stand in uh, Amida. It's the pose of the uh, Oscars, by the way. If you look at the Oscars, that's that Oscar dude is Amida. And that's why he doesn't have junk. In that moment, when we rise in the presence of the super supernal king, male unites with female. Prayer in its deepest sense is neither praise nor petition, but the mystery of unification through mystery of worship and the mystery of two names merging into one. I love this. Neither praise nor petition. The purpose of, of prayer was not to praise or to petition, but to unify the male and the female. This is the all-mother and the all-father. If you look in a uh, uh, Kabbalistic sense, the all-father, the all-mother, all and their unification, the unification of the all-mother, all all-father. El-O-Him, right? El-O-Him, Elohim, right? That's, that's the, this would be how you would pull power. You would unify, you'd meditate, you'd unify. Alchemical concept of Rebus here is very strong. The unification of these two things, of these two genders, right? In the Zohar, another quote, just as she is called by the name of the male, so he too is called by her name. Uh, the rebus from Latin respina, meaning dual or double matter. The end product of the alchemical magnum opus or great work. The end, the end product of the great work is this unification. And isn't it interesting, but if you read this more, it says the sun and moon correspond to the male and female halves, just as the red king and the white king <laughs> are similar associated. Guys, it's so obvious. And right now we have 10-day artificial insemination and we are using alchemy to unify, to rebus who we are, to bring us back to the garden, to reunify with our missing face. This is a concept in Jungian psychology, right? The animus and the anime, that a man would have an anima uh, animus and the female would have an anime. I'm sorry, the man would have the anima. Anima is the uh, female counterpart of your your shadow, your ka, the feminine part of the, yeah. Anima is the female. Okay, so I am a man, so my ka would be my anima. 
A female is a, a woman, so her ka would be animus. Now, Jung doesn't call it ka, but think about what Egypt means. Why would you spend so many calories making these little servant dolls, making furniture, putting boats in these things, because you needed your soul to have this ka in the world when you return back to your dreams? Think how much more powerful your belief would be in your crystal ship. If, say you're in a dream and you were sailing across the river Styx and you want a sturdy boat. And that you knew in your life that you spent sweat, that you, that you burned salt, that you evaporated red blood cells to create a boat. That now your ka, your spiritual self, has a stronger boat in the dream world because in this physical world, with the short time that you had while you were here, you built yourself a vessel. If you think about the technology of belief, I really highly recommend you guys buy my book, Technology of Belief, because I put a lot of thought in this. But if you really think about the technology of belief, then in this other world, this dream state, especially if you had full recall of your waking state, but vice versa. What is vice versa? In your dream state, can you remember what you were doing while you were quote, quote, conscious? Because if you can, then you would be able to draw, draw great power from your prolification in this world. And that really is the essence of what Ka is. The Egyptian Book of the Dead, right? If you remember what the concept is, is basically the Egyptian Book of the Dead is a get-out-of-jail-free card. It is you reminding your spirit with the, you're giving your Ka a written permission slip insisting that your heart was worthy. It's a letter to Anubis in a language that's built in a technology of belief that was uh, forged while you were alive in this world. It's a very special kind of magic. Think about dream and death as the same states. Right? That's why it's Westing. You're not dead, you're Westing. When you dream, you wrestle, you enter into this state, this plasmatic uh, technology of belief state where you uh, can assign and unassign your belief into certain, uh, into a matrix. And this is why the Ka was so important. It's crucial. Crucial. The very Don Juan... Don Juan is very Egyptian, if you notice that or not, but I'm just now noticing that. Very much Egyptian. And there's that red and white queen, again, just fascinating. Another quote from the Zohar, When souls issue from heaven, they issue male and female as one. It is only as they descend that they separate. And what happens when the egg descends? <laughs> When the egg, when Eve accepts the apple, cleavage begins and the egg trundles down into the soft embrace onto the uterine wall, right? The placenta starts to form its moss-like handprint and you begin to be fed. Why? Because you keep separating and separating and separating and separating and separating. The whole time you're like, I'm feeling separate. I will feel better by separating. I'm feeling separate. I will feel better by separating. And the 
plasmatic exhaust of that is called shame. Shame. And the expression of that shame is through your genitals, your pendumbra, as the dude said earlier. The vital part of your growth. Very important part of your growth. Uh, the, the Oscar, this is the, a good example of this pose, the, uh, Amida pose. I forgot I haven't even had this in here, but this pose is, is considered in the prayer. Again, look at the five steps of this. You approach, you walk into the prayer and then you step out of the prayer. So you step up to the podium of this pose, podium, and then you step down from this podium. You have this relationship with it, right? And during this time, I want to remind people that this holy name became crucial as a hidden secret, so to speak, right? And we're not going to tell you the name of God. It's our secret. And the same people that are like, you're all going to hell because you don't know the name of God or, or like, why are you persecuting me? And it's like, because you won't tell us the name of God. It really is a self-sabotaging kind of belief system that we have. On the side of Atum's uh, grave, I mean, uh, throne, sorry, are these guys. The Ogdode, this is a hermaphroditic uh, god. You can see it's a dude with the boobies there. Got the beard and the boobs. What if God had boobs and balls? Um, this was a pretty common idea. This idea that Adam being plural isn't even new, is it? This many-faced creature. Yahweh, as we talked about before, the word Yahweh is the combination of he and she. Now, <clears throat> let me explain this because in the right column here, you're seeing, so when you see, have, so first of all, notice the Yahweh in English is ha, ve, ha, yod. That's from left to right, by the way. I should have read it backwards, but I just want you guys to get it. And so then when you look at the he, you see that it's aleph, this is from left to right, aleph, vev, ha. The aleph is a silent uh, word, I mean, character. And so because it's silent, it actually doesn't make a sound. So if you were to pull the name of God out of this, you would take he and she, Aleph uh, uh, Vav Ha and Aleph Yod Va, and you would combine them and you would have Yahweh. This is why I showed you a few weeks ago. Thank you so much, Sark. Man, you already helped me enough, but thank you. Uh, this is why I showed you this the other day. That the ark, the ark, has uh, God's name, but that God's name was encoded into she, he, she, he. And that's exactly what this translation is telling you. It's telling you this. I also want to remind everybody that one of my favorite figures, Quan Yin, uh, I wrote a book uh, based off her, Quantum Rapture. I highly recommend it. Quan Yin, uh, although now it's mostly seen as female. Uh, for the most part of Kuan Yin's life, Kuan was seen as a male. It is the uh, combination of these two um, 
of these two aspects, these two eons, as the Apocrypha of Adam showed us. You know, the Hebrew, the fact that we're writing backwards from how we used to, it's not just in Hebrew, right? Coptic, Egyptian, actually, you could write both ways. It didn't matter. You could even write up and down. But Hebrew didn't see the future as being in front of you. It's weird, right? Hebrew considered the future behind you. Everything behind you is the future. Everything ahead of you is the past. It's totally backwards, right? Like, it sounds totally backwards. And it, it, it's important. It's actually not if you consider sailing. When you're sailing, you're kind of doing the same thing. You're in the back uh, of the vessel. It, it, you're being moved from a different force. And this change in, in psychology and thinking, I think, is part of why everything was inverted. Why we went from... Uh, 4,000 phalluses found in Rome to St. Peter crucified to uh, a rock being built on the inversion of this cross. Let's see, just read my notes here. I, I can't wait to get to the next part. I don't think I can, though. We're going to have to save next part, but um, yeah, we'll do that. I can't wait to show it to you, though. Maybe you can absorb this. Got to think about something. I hope you've enjoyed this um, this stuff. I, I just think it's freaking fascinating. And if this weakens your belief, maybe you don't actually believe in God. Just saying maybe. Maybe you don't. Because this stuff is just, how did they know? Now, you could say they knew because God told them, or you could say we knew because we've been here before. And I think that's a much more likely story, is that we've been here before. I was going to show you this one more time. Um, this process. Tempted by the serpent. And Adama um, decides to listen, to take the serpent's fruit. And the taking of this fruit places you on this tree of mortality. Just beautiful story. And uh, it uh, puts a whole new perspective on what the serpent actually is, right? And uh, what actually is happening. Thank you, Liberty Vibrant. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, we'll let you guys absorb this. And uh, maybe we'll pick this up tomorrow. It's going to depend on uh, my schedule. I've been thinking about changing to Tuesday, Thursday instead of uh, uh, the schedule now. But uh, um, we'll, we'll, we'll save that talk for another time. Thank you guys for being here. I uh, really appreciate it. And thanks for all the, the tips. It looks like... Uh, oh, let me... Uh, I never properly think the Rockies here. Thank you, Graham. Yeah, Graham's uh, my book there. And thanks for the tip, too. Wow, that's a big one. Thank you, Graham. Oh, my goodness, Graham. It's very generous. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you. I love doing this work. And 
I would not be able to do it if I wasn't getting these super chats and tips, especially because I keep talking about phalluses and keep getting thrown off YouTube for different stuff and people keep getting mad because you know, how dare you talk about this stuff. And it's just so fascinating to me to think about it. So thank you much. We'll see you guys uh, next time when we'll be talking about uh, more about the hermaphrodite. There's a, uh, some other cool things to, to discuss. So we'll see you then. Thank you.